Welcome to the Foundry, where leaders are forged daily. And now your host, George Roberts. Welcome back, entrepreneurs. Today we have Pete Vandeveen from Legacy Acquisitions. Welcome to the show, Pete. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me here. Well, I'm really excited to have you because I know that you're very skilled in one of the niches that I find to be fabulously interesting, which is, of course, the build to rent space. We got a major housing crunch right now. And I think that build to rent might be one of the solutions to that. So I'll let you just pick it up from there. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in real estate and how you got to the build to rent space. Yeah, thank you. Um, so I would say I, I've come about this in a non-organic way. I got out of college and I started doing real estate flips. I, and then I really dove into the deep end and I did a 60 acre subdivision. So I did all the part of the land, did all the entitlements, got ready to, to go vertical and the market tanked on me and I'd carry the whole project myself. So I really did this the solo way. And then fast forward 10, 15 years, my wife and I went and took some multifamily schooling and I really kind of reinvigorated my passion for real estate. But this time I was going to do it the right way, not lose my shirt on it and do it with the team. And that's really brought me into the multifamily space. I actually joined Ellis Hammond. We, I helped him kind of co-launch or I helped him really scale the Kingdom REI for a year. And then from that point on, I joined uh, the Legacy Acquisitions team with Andy McMullen. I've been helping them optimize that and grow that and scale that so that we're we're in the position now where we've got roughly 150 million in development and VTR development coming up. So we're in a great place to scale, to grow, to bring teams on like Tony and some of the other ones that you've spoken with, they're, they're all part of our team. So we're excited to have really, I think a power team of people ready to go. Yeah. Amazing people. Yeah. I know the the whole team. I feel I might be missing somebody, but I know Flint Jamison. I know Tony Torres yeah. and I definitely know Andy McMullen. So great people out there, great project. And obviously speak a lot about scaling. That's what you do. Well, if there's ever been something that needed to be scaled right now, I'd say it's construction or maybe built to rent in particular. So you've got, maybe just set it up a little bit here. You've got all this institutional funding. You've got all this demand on the other side. And in the middle, we need people like legacy acquisitions that can jump on that. So maybe you can paint the picture a little more fully. Yeah, I think we've really seen, like we've done the birth of it, legacy acquisitions was really the multifamily syndication space where we co-GP'd with with operators and and asset managers and now we've kind of stepped out on our own with our capital raising expertise and now we've got a complete we've got a complete vertical so we have everything from acquisition we've got the whole gc side of the equation so we do all our own construction and we've got an asset management team and then we've got the syndication um, side of the equation as well so we can do it all and i think we've got a power team of people that are able to to fill all those seats in the bus and yeah, I think now it's funny. I think we've all been preaching that the 401k, SNP, all these things are volatile. And the best place to put your money is in the multifamily, medium to high density housing. And then sure enough, we're living it now. We've got, you know, markets are tanking, SMPs down 30, 40%. And everyone's 401ks are in the tank. And, and we're really seeing that, 
now the proof's in the pudding. If you want to get into places where your money's secure and the market is stable, still medium to high density is where it's at. Yeah, great stuff. And I always like the way Tony says, build to rent is horizontal multifamily. So a little bit of a tie in there, you get a lot of the same amenities. Um, I think we talked a little bit about why build to rent, obviously a huge housing crunch, housing crisis, but anything else you want to fill in there about why build to rent communities are great to live in and why they should be great to live in and invest in for many years to come. Yeah, we, for those, yeah, I think it's, it's horizontal multifamily. We, other people say it's, it's apartment with rooftops on them. And, but yeah, we're finding, obviously we know the two demographics that are, that are, you know, not stepping into the, the single family market are the, the boomers that are liquidating and they're exiting from there. They're trying to liquidate their assets. They're trying to live into downsize into more affordable housing. And then you've got kind of the entry market, the, the millennials that want to have homes or they want to get into real estate, but they don't want to own per se. They'd rather just put their money elsewhere. So we find on both ends of the spectrum, you've got people that are pushing the rental market and pushing in the increase in demand. But what we, what we found with the build to rent is really advantageous is a lot of city planners are liking the aesthetics mm-hmm. of the BTR space because you don't have these big boxy four or five, six story apartment complexes, but you've got these, these kind of lush kind of suburb esque looking developments mm-hmm. that you've got green spaces, you've got sidewalks, you've got duck ponds, you've got dog parks, you've got all these amenities of, of the suburbs, but it's in a high density, medium density, depending on the city and depending on the, the legalities. But what we found is the cities that we approach with the, with the BTR model, would take a BTR model three times over any high density multifamily complex. So it just seems to be the way of the future, especially the baby boomers. They love it because they still have that, they, that, you know, that community feel they've got backyard. They still can got, they still have the barbecue. They feel like they're still living their life. They still have quality of life. They're just not in that low density suburbs that they used to live. And now they're in that high density. So we're getting a lot more, homes and a lot more rooftops so even in terms of like land usage we're doing a better and we have a better environmental impact than we did when we were when we were dealing with two and three thousand square foot of homes yeah amazing stuff and i'd love to second that about the medium high to high density being a great place to be in i've done well in that niche myself uh doing some cluster development in troy michigan and it's it's great economics whenever you can build a little tighter it's it's a real beautiful thing and 100% those baby boomers anybody who's downsizing these are people who maybe they're tired of cutting the lawn for the last 20 years mm-hmm. they yeah. don't mind uh being part of something that's a little bit more planned a smaller lawn a lawn service snow service those sorts of things are all very very valuable to them so a lot of demographic trends, I think, converging to make this an amazing place to be. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, well, great stuff. So for those that may not be as familiar with Build to Rent, this is a little bit more complex than, say, taking over a B-class apartment complex or doing a value add to a C-class. So why don't you walk us through from the very get-go? You have a concept for a project, you approach the city, what happens next? Yeah. So what we're doing is we're securing the land 
we have an LOI on the land and then we secure the land only after the city has allowed us to rezone it as medium to high density. And then once that happens, then we get the entitlement completed. We purchase the land. So we actually, we go through multi-phases of, of capital injection and investment opportunities. So we've got, you can, you can be grandfathered into the land side of the deal, or you can get into the vertical and the value add part of the deal. But for us, once we, once we get the entitlement in, in place, then we do all the, uh, all the infrastructure, get all the land ready. And then once we go, once we're vertical, then we have another capital round and then we go through the vertical side, get market ready. So we're some of our, one of our current BTRs, we're in a process of building 10 units a month. We have 98 units in total. So we're moving at a pretty good clip. So within a year and a half, we're hoping to have that whole process complete. And then yes, we get, we give our investors multiple entry points, multiple exit points. So if you are there from very start, from before we even acquire the land until the complete exit, and even the exit could be the condominium model. It could be, it could be a continuous build to rent or a continuous rental model, but there's so many exit points. There's a lot of opportunities for, for investors to feel like they have a lot of control over their capital. They also have a lot of flexibility that they can come and go as they please. Right. So as you mentioned, multiple steps to the process, multiple points at which investors can get involved. And as you scale, are you continuing to work with retail investors or are you starting to work with um, the bigger fish of the world, so to speak? Yeah, we definitely, I feel like the more you scale, the more you grow, the more you you desire to have a strong capital backer that can that can get you out of the retail investor space because it just gets easier as you get larger to be able to just rely on someone to cut you one check and then you don't have to spend all that effort in the marketplace trying to raise capital but i i would say that anyone once you get to certain critical mass you're always striving for more more commercial capital and get out of the retail space yeah good stuff and then for those that invest a little bit earlier on when you're still in the acquisition and entitlement phase uh, how do the returns look compared to say, I mean, I know certainly if you even invest when you're ready to go vertical, that's still an incredible investment, but uh, how much, how much, I mean, I know you can, I don't want to pin you down to any numbers, but uh, would you say it's significantly more lucrative to get involved early? I think so. Just because you have so many, there's so many phases that when you because what you're doing is you're buying bare land and then you're entitling that. Well, now that land has just appreciated by 40%. Right. And then there's another, there's another phase where you're putting utilities in until you're ready, until you're ready to go vertical. Now you've just appreciated the land by another mm-hmm. 30, 40%. So as a, as a retail investor, you have, you start to see rapid growth because a lot of times your entitlement phase may take six, eight months. So if you can see a 30% increase on your capital over six to eight months, it's an incredible return on investment. So if you do that, you're, you're basically seeing a hyperactive cycle of your cash that you would see in multifamily over five years. You're seeing this literally every six, eight months, potentially. So you're seeing three to four cycles that you can continue to let your money ride, let it roll. And over the duration of the project, you'll have seen an incredible multiple. Yeah. So just to put some numbers to that example, if you did get in the earliest phase at the outset acquisition, you put in say like a hundred thousand dollars, 
if you were to experience two 30% increases, and again, potentially in two six to eight month cycles, you're looking at almost 1.7 of what you started. You might have at that point $170,000 that's going into the vertical phase of the project. Yeah, great. And great velocity too. Um, any tricks or tips that you'd be willing to give out as to how you're able to build 10 houses a month and keep that velocity up month after month? Well, I wouldn't say we we got it right. We were dealing with some weather issues, especially being in the Southeast. It was a wet summer. So we had to, we had to kind of, and then of course, supply chain, supply chain crisis hit us, but we've been able to adapt and we're at a place now where we're the the more opportunities we have, the more we're able to scale. So it's it's really come into our ability for our team to have a scalable model or a repeatable model. And then we're just bringing in more and more key partners that allow us to um, acquire more opportunities. So Tony and, and the people that are joining our team are helping us find more ways of filling the gap. So Tony will be able to help us acquire more properties, more opportunities. So he'll be looking forward we have to add more to our, our GC side of the equation. But what we've been doing successfully, I think, is we've really been focusing on scalability so that we have our, our capital raising team gets stronger, our asset management gets stronger, our GC side gets more robust. And then our ability to find deals and source deals is always something we're looking because we need to be looking two, three years and uh, for that blue sky opportunity. Because if if we just focus on the deal at hand, once you get to the finish line, suddenly everyone stops. Well, that kills momentum and it kills your scalability. Right. Yeah, great stuff. And that's where the COO and you comes out, being able to build those processes, make things repeatable and really figure out how to turn the crank. Great stuff. Yeah, I love it. And you mentioned uh, being in the Southeast and some of the weather troubles you had earlier this year. I mean, anybody in building knows uh, there's there's a lot that goes along with that. I mean, mm-hmm. it is risk from one end to the other and, uh, and and really problems from one end to the other. So really hats off to you for uh, you know working through all that and figuring out the velocity end of things. But is that where you'd say the best opportunities are? Is that because of the demographic growth? Is that what sends you out to the Southeast? We like it for a lot of reasons. One is you're still kind of sunbelt. A lot of, there's a lot of migration from the, you know, the Midwest and the Northeast, the Northwest into the Sun Belt. A lot of the baby boomers are historically those, those winter bird migratory trend, you know, that migratory transition in the winter time for the winter months. But we also find a lot of the Southeast, especially where we're focusing on, which is kind of Louisiana, Alabama, South Carolina, even into Georgia and, and into Florida, there's there's still a lot of pockets in there that really fit the affordable lifestyle model per se. So people with people with fixed income, people that are boomers that are retiring onto their social security that have taken two, two, three, four or $500,000 out of their home. They're able to live quite well, quite affordably for the duration of retirement. And these are still low cost markets where cost of living is affordable. The amenities are high. The obviously the, the tenancy for other for Costco's and the big retail places, those are still there because the population density is high enough. But yet the 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 real boom that you're seeing in these primary markets isn't there. So we're dealing with that kind of that secondary tertiary market that has all the upside upside potential, but it's still got the 
the cost and the affordability that majority of baby boomers are looking for. Right. Great stuff. And then uh, to take it from the standpoint of real estate being location, 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 there's a lot of things you're looking for there. You've got to have a decent population size, but not too high, right? Because you still mm -hmm. want to keep everything affordable. You need a long, a large contiguous area that you can take over. So maybe you can walk us through some of the site selection challenges. Yeah, I think honestly, some of the things that we've been dealing with in these markets is that high density developments are actually shy to like, they don't really, they're not really a fan of them. So what you would consider to be high density in Phoenix, where, I, where I'm from, when you look at the spacing between built to rents, and then you go into Foley, Alabama, or you go into Louisiana, they, they get real puckered up when you trail them, you want to put housing five feet apart. Like these are communities that have never seen high density built to rents. So mm -hmm. I would say that's one of the big barriers to entry is really informing and, and educating their town council and their city of development on the benefits of it. Because once they see it, they really like it, but you still have to get them to get comfortable on the density ratios because that's something that they're just not used to. And obviously their land is, is more on the, on the availability side. There's, there's not a, a land supply crunch like there is in these high density markets, but that was one of the big barriers to entry. And then for us too, there's always, there's always that risk when you get the land of being able to get the entitlement, gaining all that stuff. So you have to have a lot of forward leading um, models in there. So that you're protecting your investor base so that there's an exit strategy should you not get entitlement. But we're, the more that this model becomes popular, the more these, these errors and these barriers to entry are disappearing. Yeah, great about the exit strategy and getting in good with the city. I know that's that's not easy. Hopefully that education helps people. Hopefully this uh, veritable housing crisis will just get some civic leaders, hopefully the population. I mean, it all gets back to us. We live in a democracy. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if people realize that we have a housing crisis and the reason that we have to pay so much for housing is that we don't have enough of it. I mean, I just don't know what to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 one of those things they say you know if you uh if you understand no explanation is necessary if you don't understand no explanation is possible <laughs> that's a good one yeah but great stuff great stuff um yeah i mean i don't know i think we kind of tick some of the major boxes with the bill to rents uh you want to talk about any of your projects ongoing now or upcoming yeah we've got we just we're just in our final we're just in our final phases of the first bill to rent. So we had a 98 unit in, in Lafayette and that's our first bill to rent our first where we are the, where we're controlling the entire process. So that's our first flagship one. And then we're moving on into Foley, Alabama, right? And that's 156 unit one. And that is, that's going to be our second one. And then we're going to move on into, we've got projects in Tennessee. We've got projects in South Carolina that are going to be stepping into next. So yeah, we're, we're still looking to raise, I think another 800,000 on, on the, the crest deal. And um, the benefit of that deal is actually we've already out. And honestly, we're worth this process because of the, the cap rate issues everyone's been dealing with a lot of, a lot of projects you're getting to the final, you're literally signing the documents and then suddenly you encounter basically a retrade of sorts where you're having to renegotiate the interest rates with the lenders. So that is one of the challenges nowadays is how many of these lenders are still willing to 
put money on the line and agree to a, a certain interest rate cap. So we've had to raise another 800,000 to shore that up, to purchase that cap down, and then we're rolling on to the next opportunity. But that first one, we've already, we've, we've, we're raising, or typically you're raising the money on a, on a predictive um, business plan. Well, that business plan is already fully in action. So that's, a, that's an easy one to invest into. And then the next one is gonna replicate that and get even better, more efficient. So um, the next one in fully Alabama should start vertical here late November, December. And then we'll be moving on into bulk construction come Q1, Q2. Excellent. So I think that first project you mentioned, that was Lafayette, Louisiana, correct? That's right. Yeah. And then uh, the third project you mentioned is in Tennessee. So what part of Tennessee are you building? That's that We've got several deals. We've got two to three deals uh, in play there. And we've got a few joint ventures that we're working on. And we've got a few that we're looking. Actually, Tony's looking at some land. Mm-hmm. but we uh i can't really name any of them because we're speculating right now but we've got, got it. two or three in the works that are fair enough got it it's still early days yeah well anyway uh sure love tennessee uh yeah. got an investment out there and looking to get more uh surely love the east tennessee area yeah it's a place that's growing and it has room to grow most importantly absolutely yeah yeah great markets and uh great about the site selection again it's, uh, I think, very exciting. I mean, you've really got, you've got decisions to make all along the uh, the line, and each one potentially adds a significant amount of value. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> all right. Well, I want to say that uh, at this point, I think we probably have to wrap up. Uh, are you ready to step up to the firing line? <laughs> Let's do it. All right. All right. So tell us something about one of your real estate markets that most people would not know. I would say that's, ooh, it's a good one. Believe it or not, I'd say Foley, Alabama is rated as actually one of the fastest growing municipal districts in the nation. Love it. Yeah. Lots of places like that. Small places yeah. of Cala, Florida growing like nuts. Yeah. So yeah, finding these smaller places big enough to be significant, small enough to grow rapidly. Yeah. Bingo. What's some advice you'd give your younger self? Don't go it alone. Love it. Don't be stupid. best real estate advice you've ever received i think the best real estate advice i've ever received was learning the hard way what not to do and then going through it and it's really been the culmination of what i have today which is really building powerful teams bringing people together rowing the same direction multiply our output by everyone doing things the right way rather than everyone going solo, everyone learning the hard way, everyone getting it wrong, going through learning curves, and then everyone having a divided output. Awesome. Uh, What would you say would be the worst advice you ever received? And this is coming from a field where I'd have to say there's a lot of bad advice going around. (laughs) Worst advice is, I think you hear it every day. People are like, buy a house and rent it. Yeah. Like, just do it. Don't, don't analyze. Don't Plan, just buy the neighbor's house and rent it. Just <laughs> love it. So let's take a nod to the randomness in the universe. I got my random question card. Just tell me when to stop cutting the deck. Uh, stop. All right. Top question. Oh, I don't know if we're going to get an answer to this. I You, you seem like a real busy guy. What's your favorite reality TV show? <laughs> reality. It could be it could be one of those real estate shows. Although if you're like me, you don't have any time to watch real estate TV. I would say I'm I'm a 
Undercover Billionaire. That's definitely my go-to. <clears throat> we need more seasons. Love it. I'll have to look that up. That sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Grant Cardone won. Se- he won season two, but like when you watch these guys start from scratch. Oh, amazing. That was the name that came to my mind because I know he's got this thing going on right now. If you're watching YouTube videos, which who right, in this yeah. business isn't trying to learn something from somebody, how quickly this moves. But yeah, he's got the whole thing about how if you build like a million dollar business in 30 days, you get to come with him on his private jet. What a guy. That's yeah. that's that's amazing. <laughs> but I think with a voice like that, I don't know if Grant Cardone could ever really go undercover. I feel like I would spot him by that voice. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why they stick him in uh, some little town in Colorado where no one knows who he is. <laughs> Maybe so. All right. Love it. Name a book that's helped to forge you as a leader and as an entrepreneur and why. What was that one more time? Uh, name a book that's helped to forge you as a leader or as an entrepreneur and why. I'd say Seven Habits of Highly Successful People by Stephen Covey. And it, it's really been foundational for me just to make leadership for me about empowering people around me, understanding the people around me, making my goal to make them better versions of themselves. And then knowing that when that comes full circle, then I'm going to get, I'm going to get what I'm asking for. I'm going to get more effective leadership because I'm seeking to know them better. I'm seeking to understand them better. I'm seeking to do a better job communicating with them. And I'm seeking to get more value and help them get more value out of their life rather than just treating people like X's and O's or treating people with a carrot or the stick. Excellent. Uh, probably one of my first business books and still one of my favorite, Seven Habits. Yeah. How has a failure or misstep set you up for later success? Well, I, I think I explained the one in real estate where I lost, I think, around right. $4 million. So that that stung <clears throat> pretty good. But I think I've always been the one that's try to I'm not sure who says it, but it's, it's basically failing fast. So it's like you learn, you grow, you fail, you get back up, you learn quickly and adapt and overcome. So you're constantly learning. So I've had a lot of experiences running big corporations and doing real estate. I've started over a dozen companies and several of them have been, been major fails. And the more you fail, the more you learn and the more you learn, the more you grow. And the next time you can shortcut a lot of it because you've got all these learnings, these lessons learned that you can apply going forward. Excellent. Uh, can you give us a quote to help forge our listeners as leaders and entrepreneurs? Um, I'm a big stoic fan. I love it. So I would say, <laughs> let me pull it up just so I don't get it wrong. Okay, good, good. All right. It says, this is by Marcus Aurelius, but he says, all you need are these certainty of judgment in the present moment, action for the common good in the present moment and an attitude of gratitude in the present moment for anything that comes your way. Awesome. Wellspring of knowledge. Love Marcus Aurelius, my favorite philosopher. So this is two in a row that we're getting a stoic quote. How can our listeners reach out to you? Um, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. I do a lot of other business stuff on LinkedIn. I do chief executive operations um, consulting. So I do what's kind of called fragmented CEO services. So I help companies grow and scale and take my billion dollar expertise and apply that to whatever scale or whatever size of company they are at the time. And then I do executive coaching as well. So just helping executives become empowered as leaders and as, um, as successful as humanly possible. But you can find me on Pete Vanderveen at LinkedIn or 
check us out at legacyacquisitions.com. And I also have another, you can scan the QR code there. That's my website, triumphperformanceacademy.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Pete. I think you've given us a lot to think about. Love built around space. Love the quotes. And thank you for taking the time to share your knowledge and experience with our audience. Thanks a lot, brother. Appreciate having me here. All right. My pleasure.